For AZPM, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, from the Autism Society of Southern Arizona's big annual event to a conversation with Ashley Birch, a Phoenician who now voices a Disney cartoon character, to a group that helps others record and present the most important stories of their lives, plus a new Stories That Soar about a princess who is not in need of rescue or marriage. Stay tuned for this edition of Arizona Spotlight. In this first interview, meet some members of the Autism Society of Southern Arizona. They're gearing up for All In for Autism Day on Saturday, April 15th at Rieto Racetrack. It's a community event that offers resources, support, and celebration for anyone in need. So my name is Jasper Traviolia. So I was diagnosed when I was 10 years old and Since I'm 13, that means I've been involved with the Autism Society for at least three years. Mm -hmm. But can you tell me how your life has changed in three years? Well, first off, it taught me not to drink any more juice. What do you mean by that, juice? The juice I was drinking, it had like this red dye in it that made my ADHD go wild. So, yeah. I had to stop dr- drinking it, and instead I found an, a new thing to drink, which was water. Water is really good. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan. And when I heard that I had autism, it was a bit hard for me at first, but then over the next few years, I started to accept it, and now, well, I'm proud of it. Being different actually makes life a lot more fun than you think. <laughs> That's what I think, too. Understanding what your community experiences is challenging for me, but I want to try to build that bridge, right? I don't see any reason why you and I can't be friends. And I wish more people felt that way about the world, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, you did a great job. Okay. So we're going to go around to everyone else. Do you please introduce yourself to us? Yep. I'm Jade. I'm 28 years old. And I've been working with Autism Society for two months, but I've been volunteering and going to the programs for over a year. Yeah. So my son has ASD as well as myself. Um, and and I've ASD, can uh, you? Autism Spectrum Disorder. Thank you. And I started going to the parent peer support groups first. Um, I hadn't been around any other families who had autism, so it was kind of nerve-wracking. Um, I didn't really know what to expect or how to feel. I knew my feelings. I had a lot of just emotions in general about it. Um, But as soon as I started going, I knew that that's where I was supposed to be. That's where I had to be um, with other people who were in the same world, the same autism world. Jade, how old is your son? He is six. And how different or similar do you find yourselves being as mother and son? Autism can present itself differently in lots of different people. So his presented a very young age. Um, I wasn't diagnosed until like last year. Now, after I received my diagnosis, I could start thinking about it more and thinking about how we were similar and how we were different. Um, We're both extremely stubborn. We both think we're right. 
all the time. We, so I have to adjust a lot of the ways that I think to enter his world. Um, I think that I understand him more than a lot of other people do because I, if I see that he doesn't want to try food, some people might get upset and want like, no, make him try it. You're not making him taste it enough or whatever. And I'm like, no, he's going to throw up. Like I would throw up if I were him. Like I'm not going to make him, I'm not going to force him to do that. So there's ways that I can defend him. I understand partly how he may be feeling and it's my job to help communicate for him because he doesn't communicate as much as the neurotypical peer. So I just really try to be an advocate for him. I think that's great. Kate, we've talked on the phone a couple of times. We've communicated. Tell us your association with the Autism Society and what brings you here today. Um, I'm Kate Elliott and I'm the executive director of the Autism Society of Southern Arizona. So I first came to the Autism Society um, almost four years ago now when my daughter when, was first diagnosed and we were looking for a school that would accept her and take her because she'd been kicked out of quite a few. And so I called the Autism Society to try and find a school and they referred me to a school that we ended up, she ended up going to and thriving in and it was really amazing. And so um, about a year later when my son was diagnosed, I went to parent peer support group to find support on how to navigate that. And I found a wonderful group of people and parents to connect to. And it was a beautiful connection to make. And eventually I started volunteering and then I started working there. And the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and we have a big event coming up on behalf of your organization. All In for Autism Day is Saturday the 15th from 10 to 2 at Rita Racetrack. And it is going to be a giant fun day. So in the past we did the walk, but we have nixed the walk and we just amped up the fun instead. So we have a reptile petting zoo, an instrument petting zoo with the Civic Orchestra, a whole art tent where we're doing organizations are doing art projects, but we're also doing a community art project. We're going to be making tiles that later on our groups are going to turn into a mosaic. So I'm really excited about that. We have theater, dance, and yoga classes rotating throughout the day on the main stage. We have different three different story times rotating throughout the day. We have an adult social zone. We have a really big adult social club, so they're going to have a whole tent. They can play games and have a mocktail bar. We have jumping castles. FC <laughs> Tucson's coming out with a soccer thing. We have other games and a resource fair and cool trucks and food trucks. It's going to be a very big, exciting day. Just a great time for everybody to come together and connect with the autistic community and meet people and have you fun. You guys save it up all year and then just unleash it on the community yes, at large. You just want to just have a big blast and just go all out. So all right. we're really excited. We have another guest who is a board member with the Autism Society of Southern Arizona. Please introduce yourself. My name is Courtney Broom and I'm a uh, been a part of the Autism Society for two years. I was a board member and now I'm uh, the president of the Autism Society. Courtney, what do you think made that a good fit for you? My love for um, working with uh, kids who had autism kind of explored me to go down a, a whole different career path and get my licensure as a board certified behavior analyst and just really get back to the community by um, working, um, you know, aligning a lot with Kate and her visions to really put, um, you know, spread autism awareness and really push that acceptance is, um, really, really got me involved because I think there's a lot of stigma about um, people who have autism and they, they can't do certain things or they're all um, like a certain way. And I, I've i never seen that. I know everyone has, um, everyone's different. And I think we need to celebrate that and not really, um, you know, stigmatize it. Jade, I'd like to ask the question of you. How important do you think it is when someone is facing a new diagnosis 
to come and share their feelings and get advice and talk to you, whether it's a teen like Jasper or whether it's a parent or anyone else. Any thoughts on that? I mean, the, the, the value of someone who gets that diagnosis for themselves or a loved one being able to come and share? Well, I used to live in a really small town and there was no autism support anywhere. Um, so I was very alone with this was even before my own diagnosis, just for my son. Um, nobody understood autism there. And there was a lot of uh, judgment and concern and questions about, well, what did I do to make him autistic and stuff like that? And so coming here and being a part of the group, it's been very healing, actually, and very helpful to just be like, no, this is who we are. And it's okay. And we can talk about autism all day long. And we can really, we don't talk about anything else besides autism because it's great. So it's been, it's been really helpful, really healing. And I think for anyone who has a new diagnosis, I mean, if a parent comes and tells me like my son just got diagnosed, I'm like, come to the parent peer support group because you're going to feel less lonely right away. Jasper, what's a message you want the community at large to hear right now? If anyone's listening to this. And they are. It's okay if you're different or not in this world, okay? It's okay to be like that, okay? Just be yourself. Go out into the world. Have fun. Live your life to the fullest, no matter who you are or what you are. You can find complete information on All In for Autism Day at ASAZ.org. Hi, I'm Molly McGee. I just moved to a new town called Brighton. And I found out that in my new house, um, there happens to be a ghost living there. His name's Scratch. He's kind of grumpy. He's always hungry. But he's my best friend now, and I love him. That is the voice of a new Disney animated character named Molly, who stars in the series The Ghost and Molly McGee. It's also the voice of Ashley Birch, a Phoenix native who grew up loving animation and video games and now works full-time in the industry that she adores. Next, Adiba Nelson talks with Ashley Birch about what it's like to not just follow, but to catch up with your dreams. Voice acting is significantly different from acting on stage or in front of a camera. Who were some of your favorite cartoon character voices when you were growing up and watching cartoons? I love Dexter from Dexter's Laboratory, but I actually think I was pretty obsessed with Tara Strong, who was just in everything. So she was Bubbles in the Powerpuff Girls, and she was um, Timmy from the Fairly Odd Parents. She was crushing it in the 90s. What was interesting, actually, because I was a big Disney kid as well. I love Disney movies. But what was so interesting about the Disney movies, I think I was so engrossed in them that I kind of forgot, for example, that Belle had a voice actor. She was just Belle. I had Little Mermaid bedsheets, so I was a big Ariel fan. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> so when you audition for new characters that you might want to voice, how do you come to that conclusion, what it would sound like? I think earlier in my career, I was really concerned about the vocal quality and making the person sound very distinct from other characters that I had done. What I found now is that really the character guides and inspires the voice. Oh. So... There are plenty of characters that I think you could describe the voice that I used as my natural voice, but people don't know that it's me because the character attitude is so different. There are some voice actors, and they're incredible at it, that are just Swiss Army knives that can just change their voice on a dime. Mm -hmm. And I definitely have a range in terms of the different voices that I can do, but I focus more on who is this character and 
what is the voice that sort of naturally comes out from me when I am when I'm playing them. Kind of seems like now you're moving into the big leagues, the big leagues being Disney. That's pretty big, pretty huge. Yes. <laughs> How has that transition been for you? So it feels really surreal to walk into Disney Animation Studios and, and record a show. I didn't know what it was going to look like for a long time. And then when I finally saw um, the character designs and then some of the completed animation, it's just so gorgeous. and it gives that sort of warm feeling that I remember having watching Disney stuff when I was a kid. When we talk about surreal, the other part that's surreal is that Molly McGee actually looks a lot like you, Ashley. <laughs> she she kind of resembles you. So um, Bill and Bob, who are the creators of the show, mm-hmm. um, they decided that whoever they cast as Molly, they were going to base her cultural background and her ethnicity on the actor that um, they would cast as her. So when I got cast, Molly became a half-tie, a half-tie tween. She is modeled a bit on, on me in, in as much as her, her racial identity reflects mine, which I, like I said, I, I didn't know when I was auditioning that that was going to be the case. I totally thought that Molly was going to be like a white, you know, red haired. <laughs> I just pictured her very, very differently. It was really meaningful to me when they told me that. And then when I saw the character designs, because I've never played a character that actually directly reflects my racial identity and my cultural identity. I'm an Afro-Latin woman and I know mm. seeing characters that look like me or sound like me or like my daughter on TV mean the world to us. That's got to be pretty impactful for you. It's so meaningful. I really, <laughs> I don't think I realized just how meaningful it would be until we started recording. Mm. And, you know, like I said, I was seeing dishes that I ate as a kid come up in scripts. There's a whole uh, episode that I'm really looking forward to people seeing where Molly struggles with being biracial and not feeling high enough, which is something that I struggled with as well, right. um, especially because my mom's an immigrant. And when she came to the United States, she was really focused on assimilating and learning English. And so a lot of my experience and understanding of my Thai culture has come later on in my life because so much of my upbringing was sort of a reflection of her being like, you're American, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're white, be, you know, be American kind of thing. Especially, you know, as an adult being more invested in learning about that side of my heritage, now playing this character who, it's interesting, she's, you know, she's like 12 or 13, but she, we're kind of going through similar things of what does it mean to be Thai? How do I connect to that culture? And what's also so cool about the show being about, you know, this girl becoming friends with a ghost is that spirits and ancestral connection through ghosts basically Mm -hmm. is a big part of Thai culture. So it actually ended up kind of being a bit of kismet that they based Molly on, on me. And especially, you know, I mentioned the Disney characters that I really gravitated toward. It's funny. They're, they were all the Brown women. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They weren't Thai, but it was like, well, this is close enough, right? Brown, (laughs) this works. Um, It just means so much to me that there could be, you know, half Thai or fully Thai girls and boys that can watch the show now and see their family reflected in, in the McGee's. It's just so meaningful to me and that they don't have to go for what's the closest approximation of my family that they can 
they can really see, oh, yeah, that I eat that, I do that, we have a sunprop bloom in our house, like whatever it happens to be, you know, it's just so cool and really meaningful to me as an adult that's really, you know, um, diving into understanding my culture more. Um, I just feel so grateful to Bill and Bob that they, that they decided to make that choice. <laughs> Can't believe you're all mine. What? You and me for all time. Oh. I'm never, ever, ever gonna be alone again. Oh boy. The dream team, you and me. Adiba Nelson talked with Ashley Birch, who stars in the animated series The Ghost and Molly McGee. The show is now in its second season, and you can catch up with the latest episodes on Disney Plus and Disney XD. The coronavirus pandemic has now taken millions of lives and disrupted the lives of many more around the world. People have countless stories about COVID and its impact. In Tucson, a local storytelling training group recently received a grant to help residents write, record, and edit short videos about their experiences during these difficult times. We'll hear about the program next as Tony Paniagua talks with Jen Nowicki-Clark, the director of Creative Narrations. Jen Nowicki-Clark, the owner and director of Creative Narrations, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me here, Tony. What is Creative Narrations? What's the organization all about? Creative Narrations is a small business, and we provide training in uh, participatory multimedia, um, which in our case, what we're talking about today is digital storytelling. And it's um, my background is actually in adult education, uh, teaching English as a second language and uh, GED student leadership. Um, and I learned then that people learn really well when they're able to speak about the context of their own lives. And so digital storytelling is a process where we work with a group of people to produce their own three-minute movies, essentially, first person in the context of an issue that's important to them. And of course, we all know that right now, one of the top issues around the world is COVID. You recently had a cohort relating with that topic, and now you are about to begin another one. Can you tell us about that, please? Yeah, Creative Narrations received a grant from the city of Tucson recently um, through the American Rescue Plan Act. And we're a community partner who we're, we're trying to respond to the pandemic, especially in terms of equity, because we know everybody was not affected in the same way by the pandemic. And we thought it would be an amazing opportunity to gather different people in our Tucson community to talk about how they were affected and let them take control of that story. Let them learn the process of of framing, of recording, of finding images, to, and learning how to create their own movies about what happened during the pandemic for them. And some of these people have never really dealt with this technology, editing, choosing graphics, importing photographs, etc. because it is almost like a production that you would see coming out of a regular television station. Right, exactly. So there, in these trainings, there's an element of media literacy. Um, these are tools that are around us all the time, and it's a really powerful process um, when people are able to not just have control of their own story, but also the tools to tell it what stays in, what goes out. How do you 
show images using metaphor? How do you use your voice in a way that can convey emotion? Um, all of these little things are important when we're telling a story. Jen, you sent us a link to three stories that were recently finished uh, last year. And one of the people, Liz, talks about the difficulties of facing COVID, dealing with COVID when you are financially unstable, insecure. What do you want to say about that? Yeah, um, Liz's story was really impactful for all of us. And she speaks from a perspective of, of knowing people close to her who didn't have the same options, didn't have the same financial resources. And in some cases, it made them harder to stay safe. And you can take a look at her story, but she was really fired up because of this process and um, decided that she needed to just change her whole schedule around to be able to stay in these classes, even though they took so much time and energy because she's so committed to um, spreading this message of people being safe and the role of financial security. The other video that I watched uh, is from Anna and it is titled 347 Days. I found it really interesting. This is in Spanish. Her mother from Colombia was supposed to visit her for 90 days, but due to COVID, it turned to almost a year. And one of the things that Anna mentions is that COVID in some ways was a blessing for her and her family. What else do you want to say about this? Yeah, we never know what stories are going to come out in, in these trainings. And while we may have thought that asking people to talk about COVID would be all stories about grief, we did have stories about grief, but it was also about, you know what, if we didn't have this opportunity, I wouldn't have had this time with my mom. I wouldn't have had this opportunity to have a different relationship um, with somebody who was so important to me or to learn new skills or things like that. So it was also a lot of stories about resiliency and unexpected sources of strength around us and community. Jen, some people may be listening to this interview and say, why do a special training for people to tell their stories? There's Facebook, there's Instagram, Twitter, all over the place, social media. Is it still necessary to do a more formal educational process? That's a really good question. I'm glad that you asked it. And I feel like this process is really different because it's a collective group process. We're working with a group of about 15 people. There's community building. People are feeling validated. They're not going off and doing these stories alone. It takes time and emotional energy but also people are learning the skills of technical troubleshooting. Um, as you mentioned, they are probably not people who would normally be doing this in their lives. It's not a process for likes, and it's transformational. When we are comfortable telling our own stories, when we feel confident in telling a story that's important to us, and we've taken the time to get it right, that's a leadership skill. And we want good leaders in Tucson, and we want people who are comfortable with their own stories. We've been talking about the people that have participated in this process. What about you? What does this do for Jen Nowicki Clark? I feel like storytelling is the most important thing we can do to feel more connected to each other um, as individuals, as a community. Uh, they say that the shortest distance between two people is a story. And for the past 20 years, I've been doing this work, and I feel like every time... I share a story or someone shares a story with me, we get to this place of vulnerability that's not just essential for, for us, but it's essential for everyone to feel closer and to work better together and to break down stereotypes and to have a stronger community. And so that's, that's why we're doing this. And that's why I'm doing this. <laughs> 
Jen Nowicki-Clark says Creative Narrations is planning a screening party in June so the community at large can meet and hear from the storytellers. We have links to some Creative Narrations stories on the Arizona Spotlight page at azpm.org. The Tucson nonprofit Literacy Connects sponsors a group of performers and musicians called Stories That Soar. They help young writers realize the power and potential of bringing their stories to life for the stage, video, or radio. We're now presenting these stories on the first Thursday of every month here on Spotlight. This cliche-breaking story was written by Kayla, a fifth grader at Fruchthandler Elementary, and it's called Not a Fairy Tale. Once upon a time. Psst. Hey, over here. I'm Princess Pearl. And no, I didn't get saved by a dashing prince. And no, I don't have a curse on me or get married like all the other princesses. Don't believe me? Then hear my tale. It all started in a very tall tower. My parents didn't know about it. (laughs) She was reading a book when a random guy called out to her. Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down your hair. So she did what any princess would do. Wrong princess! The prince was shocked. What? I can still see his face now. (laughs) But I, she, I, and me. The guy ran away. A week later, she was in the forest. Minding my own beeswax. When a guy tried to take her heart, he got on his hands and knees and said, I am so sorry, my princess. She shoved him off. Wrong princess. Huh? What? And went to another spot. The same day, an old woman came and offered her an apple. Have this. It is. I don't like poison. What? She took the apple and smashed it. No, no, no. (sighs) Some days I, I need a break. The princess went to her room to think about the past few days. You know what? I'm getting tired of being mixed up with all the other princesses. Today, I'm gonna be the hero. The first thing she did was cut her skirt in half. Then, she put on pants? Yeah, pants! And then I went out and saved the princesses. First, she saved Rapunzel. Over here, damsel. She broke her out, cut her hair. Oh, my hair, Uh, oh, oh. My hair, it's so freeing, wow. Got her crown. Here's your crown, honey. Reunited her with her parents. Mom, Dad, thank you, Pearl. Thank you so much. And then went on. Then she saved Snow White. She interceded the old woman and took her basket. Those are my apples. Sorry, I'm the no poison apple, please. Oh. Oh. And smashed it. Thank you for saving me from that witch. She went on her way. I have saved a lot of princesses. What I'm trying to say is be strong. Be the hero. Not the damsel. The end.
That Was Not a Fairy Tale, written by Kayla, a fifth grader at Fruchthendler Elementary. Go Firebirds! It was produced by the Stories That Soar creative team with middle school students from the Literacy Connects Youth Center. Aspiring student-age writers can submit stories to the Magic Box Story Portal now at literacyconnects.org. And listen for more Stories That Soar the first Thursday of every month on Arizona Spotlight. Thank you for listening. This show is a production of AZPM. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. The assistant producer is Leah Britton. I'm producer and host Mark McLemore. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.